0: Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Romanelli and Dr. Danielle Ola, residents at Southern Illinois University. Michael is a third-year resident at SIU in Springfield, Illinois. He's originally from Springfield and completed college at Northwestern University and medical school at Southern. His academic interests include hand and general reconstruction. And Danielle is a fourth-year resident at SIU. She's originally from Tucson, Arizona, went to college at the University of Arizona, and medical school at the University of Arizona School of Medicine in Phoenix. Her academic interests are microsurgery and craniofacial surgery. Danielle, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So I'd love to start by hearing a broad overview about your program at SIU.
1: So we are a six-year integrated plastic surgery program. We're highly clinically focused with a lot of early and extensive operative experience. We have quite an extensive hand surgery experience, given the amount of construction manufacturing plants and farmers in our area. In terms of our program, for the first year, we have four months of plastic surgery. That's with our burn rotation and we also, during that time, are exposed to a variety of our plastic surgery cases. We also additionally rotate with pediatric surgery, orthopedic surgery, neurovascular surgery, vascular trauma, and gen surge. During each of these rotations, however, we do spend quite a bit of time focused toward the plastic surgery cases. So for our second year, we have seven months of plastic surgery, one month of research, We have one month with a breast surgeon where we work with a general surgeon, and we do a lot of her plastic reconstructive work as well, which is great opportunity and experience to kind of develop that relationship with her. We do some uh, rotation with OMFS for facial trauma, and we also have a month for vascular surgery. Our third year, we do nine months of plastic surgery, two months of research, and then another month of ENT. And then our fourth through sixth years are entirely plastic surgery focused.
0: And what are some of the different places where you do rotations?
1: In Springfield, Illinois, there are two primary hospitals. Those are St. John's Hospital and Memorial Medical Center. We spend the majority of our time, I would say, at Memorial Medical Center, but our time is split between the two hospitals. Memorial Medical Center also has an outpatient Bayless Day surgery where we do a lot more of our outpatient procedures.
0: And where do you see, for example, like pediatric surgery?
1: We have St. John's is a more pediatric-focused hospital, and we see, do a lot of our cases, our pediatric cases there, but we do perform pediatric surgery at both Memorial and St. John's.
0: And are there any other main differences between the two sites?
1: I would say that St. John's has more of a women's and children's focus. And Memorial overall, I would say, is a little bit more robust of a hospital where we do the majority of our cases.
0: Are there any independent residents or fellows associated with your program?
1: We do have a hand fellow, which we work with. And every Thursday we have a conference in which we go over a variety of different hand cases, and they will teach and learn with us during those Thursday hand cases.
0: How does having a hand fellow impact your training experience?
1: I think that it's uh, an opportunity um, to learn and work with them. Uh, As I was mentioning earlier, we have such a high volume of hand surgery cases. I don't feel as though our residency is hindered by any way. Uh, Frequently, we will find that we'll work with the hand fellow and our attending surgeon will just watch us both perform the case and kind of coach us through that case.
2: The majority of our attendings do hand. So, they kind of can only be with one attending a day. So they kind of rotate through who they see cases with. So if we do the mentorship model, which I guess we can get into a little separately, but, you know, I'm with one attending for the whole month, and the hand fellow just kind of sporadically comes different days to cases they're interested in. So there's, you know, full days of hand surgery that we do without the hand fellow. So it's just kind of variable, but there is so much hand here, like so much. Like, I know Michael likes hand. It's not necessarily one of my interests. So, I mean, I'm getting so much exposure that, you know, having somebody else around is not hindering it at all.
1: The other thing I'll say is that with the mentorship model, if you're paired with a certain attending during that day frequently, you will alternate cases. So, a lot of the time, our attendings will have so many cases during the day that you know, some of the time we'll, it'll work out that w- the resident will do one of the cases and then the fellow will do the next. And we'll be alternating rooms back and forth. And so if we're doing carpal tunnels, cubital tunnels, you know, the resident will focus on those, whereas the fellow may focus on a pronator syndrome release or a radial tunnel release, a little bit more advanced cases.
0: You briefly mentioned the mentorship model, and I'd love to go into that a bit
2: more for anyone who doesn't know what that looks like at your program. It's a pretty unique system. So rather than having the traditional team base where you have, you know, chiefs, fours, like the whole way down on a team, you're just matched for a month with one attending. So we kind of all rotate through our attendings and it it changes month to month. but. Being a new four, so now I'm finally just on plastics and really becoming more of an upper level and seeing what I've already accomplished as a one through three, I think is really due to the system. So your attending sees you for a month straight. So you kind of learn their preferences, you know, their tendencies, what they like in cases, how, you know, everybody does something a little bit different, but getting to work with them on a consistent basis, you really get to grow and they get to see you improve over time. So I think the trust is built a lot earlier Then if you're on a team approach and they see once in a while you're jumping between different attendings, they might not see your progress so clearly. So we definitely get a lot of autonomy early. My anecdotal experience of this is last month I had my last month of third year and I got to raise an ALT and do the microsurgery just with my attending. So no chief came to my case you know, they were all busy with whatever attending they were on with. I mean, there are plenty of times that we'll kind of cover each other so chiefs can go to these cases that they want to be a part of. But some days we're so busy and there's so much going on that they see you over time improve. And I think that you are able to do a lot more sooner. It's pretty invaluable from that standpoint. And then you really get to know them. So I think we definitely have very close relationships and all of our attendings, I would consider mentors. So We call it mentorship model, but I think they truly become your mentors, whether it's in your career, even like work-life balance, all of those things you're kind of seeing from their point of view. You really get to model how their rotations are. So when right now I'm on Dr. Summer's month and she does lots of breast and cosmetic. So it's a much different schedule and vibe than when you're on with somebody who takes a lot of hand call you know trauma cases that type of thing. So I think it's a good reflection of what your future career can look like, but it also develops those relationships and gets you doing more sooner.
0: Could you tell me a bit about the research expectations at your program?
2: We get 3 research months during our 6 years here. So pretty unique is the fact that you don't have to take a research year, but you're definitely given that time to really contribute to research. So I believe the expectation is really one project in like a firm stance, but people can be pretty much as productive as they would like to be. So we've been piloting kind of doing a QI project. So from what I'm hearing, that's going to be kind of a mandated thing is to be part of a QI project during your residency. But that is something that is an expectation for us. Whether you develop the QI project or you're just involved with it, I don't think there's a clear expectation on that. But you definitely need to be involved in some type of quality improvement. But we have a basic science lab that's funded with staff, so we're not really relying on grants, which is nice. So we have two full-time staff um, in our basic science lab. So if you can really think of it and help develop it, they will help us get it done, which is awesome. And then we have a pretty strong clinical staff as well, separate. Her name's Danuta, but she kind of covers all the surgical subspecialties and helps us get IRBs done and helps us with grant writing and all of that. And then we also have pretty strong QI projects. So we have this green belt system here at Memorial, and they've won many awards nationwide for quality improvement. So we've been pretty involved with that as well as education. So really, if you can dream it, you can do it here. We've had residents get all sorts of funding and grants. You get those three months, one in your second year, two in your third year. You review a plan with one of the faculty members, your mentor, to make sure you kind of have some plans to be productive and helping you accomplish that. But really, you can push yourself to whatever level you want to. Some people are extremely productive and have dozens of research publications when they're finished with residency. And, you know, some focus more on the clinical aspect of, you know, becoming a surgeon. So it really, I think, is how much you want to motivate yourself. There's really a lot to do here.
0: And once you've completed your research, how supportive is the program in giving you the opportunity to present it?
2: They're very supportive of research here. So just in general, you are funded to go to one conference a year and like any conference you want, they fund the travel, the hotel room. So you don't even have to present at that. So it's really a fun conference to go to to really immerse yourself and not be kind of stressed about those aspects of things. But if you get a publication submitted and accepted they will also pay for your travel and hotel to present at any conference so if you're extremely productive you can pick a conference that you don't want to present at and get that funded and then if you submit to six separate conferences and they all get accepted your our program will support us to go and present that research i've never heard of someone not being able to present when they are uh, submitted obviously in covid times Hopefully things get back to normal and that continues, but I know everyone's been really well-supported. Travel and whatnot and, and fees and all that has been covered.
1: They also will cover any submissions of articles as well.
2: How would you improve your program? I would say being someone thinking about craniofacial, I think our exposure to that is you know, not strong. We're kind of in the middle of Illinois, so we're three hours from Chicago one and a half hours from St. Louis. So I feel like a lot of those cases end up going to the larger centers in the big city. So we do have a cleft clinic here. So we're getting in utero consults. And if people come to us, we're obviously performing those surgeries. But I just think the funnel for referral is kind of away from the smaller city. So our program definitely tries to make up for that. We go up to Northwestern to rotate for pediatrics as as a four or five. So we go and spend six weeks up in Chicago, and we do have opportunities for away rotation. So there's definitely mechanisms in place for people interested in things that aren't very strong here to go see more and get more exposure. But I would say that's something I wish we had a little bit more of is craniofacial. But I do think they've definitely thought that through, and that's not necessarily something that we can change. If your kid has a cleft, I understand people going to places that are getting higher volume, but there are definitely mechanisms to help us go experience more of that. And then, in addition, we were very involved with Op Smile before COVID. So we had two attendings, Dr. Russell and Dr. Maley, go um, in global surgery, you know, all over the place. And they'll take residents. I know the last time they went, they got it approved to count for cases even. So that wasn't even vacation time for the resident. That was part of their rotation obviously all that stuff is on hold right now, but there's definitely opportunities to see more, but that would be a few things I think are not as prevalent here, which is understandable given kind of the location and the size of our city. But, you know, I think there are, like you mentioned, it's made up for in different ways. We catch basically everything, even at like the outskirts of St. Louis all the way up to Chicago, hand referral wise and burn wise comes to us. So I mean we are pretty inundated with hand and and burn and you know it's definitely good exposure for that. We're extremely busy which is good, good for residency. You know, you want to see it all and have somebody there when you're when you're working through all these cases as a resident. I would say we are lacking in a few a few areas and most prominently craniofacial.
1: Well, in terms of things that our program could improve, I would say that's probably the the primary one. So not really much to add in terms of that. I would say every other day we take face call and every day, pretty much seven out of every eight weeks, we take hand call on a day to day basis. So just to kind of speak more to the strength of our clinical experience, I would say we have significant amount of exposure in terms of consults and triaging multiple different case presentations at once.
0: You mentioned a little bit about some of those elective opportunities in the later years. Could you give me a little bit more of the specifics of
2: those and what residents choose to do at those times? There's not necessarily like a month that is uh, like designated as elective. It's a little bit on a more case by case basis. So if you're interested in something, they will you know help you get it organized and help you go there. I know there's logistics of figuring out you know liability insurance and all of that with other universities. But even our hand fellows this year, they both got pretty awesome hand fellowships. So they're going to rotate with some of the orthopedic hand here in Springfield, But which is not necessarily part of our normal rotations. But there's just some flexibility in the schedule if you have a specific interest that we can kind of help organize that. But it's not necessarily pre-programmed into the curriculum, but they are flexible on like helping you accomplish that. I was supposed to go to Chicago this summer to do some craniofacial, and that just has all been canceled by both universities at this point, just given travel. So as soon as that becomes available again, I'm going to work with them to figure out an earlier time to go. So I think things are fluid and they're very receptive to feedback and just want to support you to see what you want to see and be a part of. So there's not necessarily a good specific to give you other than they're very flexible and kind of make stuff happen.
1: Speaking more to the hand aspect and elective, both of our chief residents right now just matched into their fellowship of choice for hand surgery. And given as plastic surgeons here in town, we focus a little bit more on the aspect of hand distal to the wrist. This year they set up rotations for themselves to electively rotate with some of the orthopedic surgeons in town to focus more on elbow and shoulder reconstruction, both from rotator cuff surgeries to elbow reconstruction. In order to gain that exposure, they set that up. We had a resident who was interested in going into cosmetic and aesthetic surgery and wasn't planning on doing a fellowship, and I recall him telling us he came recently as a visiting professor. And he said that he took some of his time to go and rotate with prior residents who had graduated and set up their own clinics and everything. And given that he had wanted to set up his own clinic and kind of establish his own practice, he went and rotated with a number of different programs there.
0: Continuing in that vein, what would you say is your cosmetic exposure like?
1: As Danielle was saying, we get a lot of cosmetic exposure while on our Dr. Summer rotation. Additionally, we have a cosmetic clinic every Friday afternoon.
2: So we have um, a resident clinic in Dr. Summer's clinic. So when she does her Botox filler clinic or outpatient procedures up in clinic, we have our own injectable clinic. I guess that's what it mostly is. But we also can offer surgical you know, procedures to people. There are opportunities to even get implants from companies to use in the resident cases and whatnot so that they're not charged to the patient. But there's a lot of opportunity to see cosmetics from her clinic, kind of, you know, obviously in the more mentorship model, but then there's also this opportunity to kind of drive your own clinic while she is in her own kind of injectables clinic. So I am just doing it now for the first time and really getting more comfortable with filler and Botox. And it is interesting to see in those clinics how then people start kind of asking you, you know, they reach kind of the max benefit of those, you know, less invasive treatments. And then they start kind of asking you more about, well, what could we do that's a little bit more invasive? So you see how that kind of builds and then you can offer them more, whether they want it to be a resident case or, you know, to go see Dr. Summer for those things. And then we also rotate with a private practice guy, Dr. Russell. He used to be a faculty member at the school, but he does have his own clinic now very close by. So we do months with him as well. So you kind of see the gamut of it. It's not like we're in California or Scottsdale where that's necessarily the strongest suit here, but I think we definitely get some exposure. And from different attendings, you definitely see how they do things a little bit different and how their consults go. So there is definitely some exposure. The two residents that had just graduated in June, they are both doing aesthetic fellowships. One's with Dr. Core and one's with Dr. Calibra, so pretty awesome fellowships that they're in right now. Some people want to see a little bit more if that's their interest, but I think people are still graduating and, you know, even opening private practice that's with some cosmetic focus. There's definitely variety.
0: And is there any exposure to gender
2: affirmation surgery? Yes, actually I had some yesterday. There is a full clinic where they are going through hormone therapy and all the steps, and when they are appropriate or ready for surgery, then they're referred to our office. I've seen patients in different attendings clinics, so it's not like they're necessarily funneled to one specific attending, but we've definitely done um, male-to-female and female-to-male top surgery. I don't think we've done any bottom surgery. They are going to more Specialized areas to have that surgery, but there's quite a bit of top surgery happening here. And is moonlighting possible?
1: No. Moon, as I was mentioning earlier, our clinical exposure and experience and consults and everything are quite extensive. And we don't really have a full research year or anything. And while we are on our research months, we help with the call pool as well. So there really isn't an opportunity for moonlighting during our program. That being said, we have enough experience that I don't think that moonlighting is really necessary.
0: So finishing up the program focus, are there any perks you'd like to mention about your program?
1: Our first year, we are sized and fitted, and um, the program does pay for loops. As Danielle was mentioning earlier, we do get to go to a meeting per year that's all covered, costs, hotel, everything. We have recently started doing more of an annual or attempted an annual uh, Team Jackets program.
2: So we have, again, in our lab, so we have our basic science lab, which is attached to the medical school that's right next to the hospitals. And our lab, um, I think it's technically titled the microsurgical lab. So we have our two lab staff, you know, funded via some endowment all the time. So it's not dependent, again, on grants. So You're not going to like ever lose them We have a pretty awesome setup for microsurgery there. So there's in vivo, opportunities all the time so we have rats and if you want to practice dissecting down to the vessels you can kind of call them if you even have like an extra hour and just say hey i would love to come do an anastomosis they will go get the animal for you put them to sleep and then it's ready for you to do all those things if you have 15 minutes and you just want to go practice your skills they'll even dissect down to the vessels and have it all ready for you you know clamped cut and then you can just come do the stitches so it's a pretty awesome experience. I started doing that on my research month every day. So there's really no limit. So, I mean, I did like 30 that month. And then um, when I was on nights, a few days a week, you know, when we got off after conference, I would go there and do it with kind of the mindset if I can do it in the, after being up all night. You never do the microsurgery at 8 o'clock when you're fresh. It's usually at a much later hour. So I think that helps me with a lot of those opportunities like we I talked about earlier, of getting to do microsurgery pretty early as a 3. And not even just preparing the vessels or doing the veins, I've gotten to do some artery work. So I think showing them that you're, you know, investing the time and effort in that lab, you know, really can pay off. So our interns are in there when you're on research, you can really spend some good time in there, but it's a pretty awesome experience that's readily available, like pretty much 24-7. If you want to do animal training, you can actually go get the rat yourself and do it, you know, on the weekend whenever you like. So it's a pretty awesome experience. In addition to perks, so I am our, I guess, wellness or social chair or wellness champion is what Dr. Bueno likes to call me. So the program has approved funding for different activities throughout the year. So it's kind of fluid and obviously we had this all planned before everything was shut down. There's been a pretty big chunk of money designated to help with activities and wellness and just stuff that we can even dream up. So I'm working on a kind of a private yoga session right now at one of our awesome yoga places they definitely have a big push for wellness which you know seems like that's a big important topic everywhere but i think our program is definitely putting their money where their mouth is we have tangible results and money and it's not just something that we talk about like i'm here put in place you know to kind of dream it up and i'm always looking for feedback and ideas and we're actually making that happen Every year after the in-service, we get the weekend off, and everyone's usually gone to one of our tendings has a house in Park City, Utah. So there's been a big ski weekend right after the in-service. And then this last year, we ended up going to St. Louis, and it was like right, literally like the day before COVID happened. So it was like the last time anyone's gone anywhere. But it was really awesome to like all rent a big house together and, you know, hang out and go to dinner and just really bond. So we definitely really love each other. We're a big family. And I think this program and the support that we get really helps make that possible.
0: And could you tell me a little bit more specifically about your program leadership?
1: Our chief of plastic surgery, Dr. Bueno, graduated from Vanderbilt and he did his residency here. It's interesting that you'll find that our program leadership, a lot of them trained here at SIU and loved it so much they decided to return Dr. Bueno did his fellowship in Hospital for Special Surgery in New York in hand and upper extremity, and then he also did a fellowship at Hospital for Sick Kids in Toronto for pediatric plastic surgery. Dr. Bueno as a person is great to work with. He particularly likes to describe wounds similar to food groups, which always makes for an entertaining case. Or, consult. or a consult. Loves to talk about food and sports trivia, as well as classic rock trivia. Dr. Summer is our program director. She also trained here and then went on to do a fellowship with uh, Maxwell in Nashville, Tennessee, in breast reconstructive surgery. Dr. Neumeister is our chief of surgery, and he plays a significant role in our leadership as well. He's kind of a legend in hand surgery. He recently presented on metacarpal fractures with all the national Zoom plastic surgery lectures that have been going on. He's Canadian and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He loves to have us all out to his lake house for a big Fourth of July party.
2: And he's really into eponyms?
1: Yes. So Jean sign or Froment sign, he loves to ask all about eponym.
2: He'll offer you a bottle of wine. And if you can get it, he will pay up and give, bring you a bottle of
1: wine. Of note, Danielle did get a bottle of wine.
2: For what was on a Canadian dime, not, not to do with surgery. Can you
0: tell me about a time when you brought up an issue to your leadership and how they responded?
1: I think Dr. Summer does a great job as a program director of offering us time and space to discuss different challenges that we have.
2: She is very receptive to feedback and honestly, you know, elicits it from us rather than us, you know, having to go to her and ask for it. So we have biannual meetings where she'll specifically ask us, but she's pretty much got an open door and you can either go to her or if you're uncomfortable, go to the chiefs. But just specifically, I would say, you know, there's been some changes within her schedule over even the time I've been here the last three years. So we used to do cardiothoracic surgery. But they ended up getting more residents on board and it just ended up being a lot more laparoscopic work and we weren't really involved very much. So we ended up bringing those concerns to her and we changed that rotation around so we no longer do that. And then there are some people more interested in, you know, burn and critical care. And so there's been some changes where if you want to do rotations like that, something that's not necessarily required or you aren't as interested in, they'll switch that around. So there have been some residents who've done extra ICU work and whatnot. So really. Whether it's, you know, interpersonal or just rotation or in specific patient care issue, I mean, her door is really always open and she's very responsive. And if it gets to the point that you don't necessarily want someone to know where it came from, we do have an anonymous way to report things, which I just think takes some strain or worry out of it. You know, we're not a huge program, so obviously there's only a certain number of people that that could come from. So it's nice that it can be anonymous if you feel more comfortable doing that. They're all really receptive and we're always into wanting to improve and change things. We have a huge you know, focus on education here. Right now we're in the MCLI here at Memorial and it's an entire four floor building really dedicated to education. So we have lots of simulations. People come from all over to train here, even just like EMS, like they have very high standards for education. So we're really lucky. And if you can kind of dream it, we can do it. So when I was an intern our chief wanted to start doing anatomy dissections every year, so the department found funding and it's still going on today. So for the first nine weeks of the year, we do anatomy dissections. So the PGY one through threes kind of spend Sunday, Monday and Tuesday dissecting a cadaver. So we do hand one week, forearm one week, you know, upper extremity the next week, all the way kind of through the whole body, head and neck, breast, chest, uh, lower extremity. So we kind of work through the whole body One of our chiefs, Tim Doherty, he's come up with this pretty specific guide for plastic surgery and anatomy dissection. So it's obviously muscles and nerves, but it's really focused on what's clinically important. So courses of nerves or what flaps we do. It's really awesome to see it on a yearly basis. Your perspective changes the more that you see. So, being in the ER, it's one thing to see the anatomy kind of splayed wide open for you to see, but to come see somebody with a stab wound, you know, in the arm and you don't get the same exposure, really what you're thinking that you're going to see and where the nerve should be lying in relation to what muscle, like you're kind of seeing a snapshot of where that injury is rather than seeing the whole panoramic picture like you do in anatomy. But I would say the second year I got to come, I'd seen so much more in the ER and I had really specific questions or how things relate to each other or what should I see in this region. So it's definitely a really unique exposure. And I definitely came from a resident driven initiative and the program was really receptive to it. And I can see how it's grown over the past three years. It's really core now to our program. I don't see it changing anytime soon. So pretty awesome to see if you can dream it. They'll support you and and make it happen.
1: Additionally, there are staff here in the MCLI who, similar to with the microsurgery lab, will get everything out, have a full instrument tray ready and waiting for you so you can just come and, you know, dissect and practice. In addition to our anatomy labs that we go through the first nine weeks of the program, we also do reconstructive labs each month where we dissect out different flaps or procedures That are plastic surgery focused and then present to each other. And that conference is usually on Wednesday mornings from like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., which is entirely protected time solely to work on those flaps that we're working on. On top of that, if you ever have a challenging case come up, for example, recently we did an iliac crest for mandible reconstruction. And in order to prepare for that, some of the residents requested and acquired a cadaver for that to practice the dissection prior to doing the procedure as well. So really, any challenging procedure that you have coming up that you want to, you know, rehearse or practice prior to, the staff is always more than willing to kind of try and coordinate that.
0: You spoke a little bit about how residents like to spend time together outside of work. Can you touch a little bit more on the relationships amongst the residents, both at work and out of work?
1: Would love to. Thank you for asking that question. So right now we're in the middle of summer and on night float, which I am on, you don't have to work on the weekends. And so we've had a lot of opportunities and throughout the majority of like late spring into early fall, all throughout the summer, a lot of our attendings live on the lake. And so we have the opportunity to go boating, jet skiing, tubing, surfing, wakeboarding, really whatever you want to do on the lake. And I think that's kind of been a favored pastime of a lot of us just all getting to spend time together. Locally, too, there's a great restaurateur who's opened quite a few restaurants that we like to go out to. There's um, a great microbrewery that has an awesome bocce ball court and bonfire pit, and area that a lot of us like to frequent. We are home of Abraham Lincoln. And so his presidential uh, museum is here. And so if you ever wanted to see any of his sites, like rub his nose on one of the main statues here in town, or see his house.
2: I moved here from Arizona, and I immersed myself in the culture. So I got a membership to the Abraham Lincoln Library and museum. So I've been so many times I think I could work there. Anyone who came to visit me went. So just so you know, he wasn't born here, but he lived here before he went to his presidency. But his house is here. He's buried here. It's the closest I've ever been to a president was going to his burial site, which is honestly very sobering and awesome. But yes, we are home of Abraham Lincoln. I just got a French bulldog and his name is Lincoln. So it's definitely rubbed off on me. Michael's from here, so I think he has kind of grown up in this community, but I moved here from a city of 5 million people, so I think I got a little bit of a different perspective. We have a fast-paced life within work, but I think it is a little bit opportunity to have a little bit of a slower-paced life outside of work. So there's definitely a lot of outdoor activities. People really appreciate summer here. I came from you know Phoenix. It's like 110 now. We actually hide in the summer, so I've never really seen like festivals all the time. You know, there's a farmer's market right outside where I live. There's a lot of opportunity to really enjoy where you're living. And then, in addition to having so many wonderful people around that you want to hang out with. So, we love hanging out with each other as residents, even our spouses. So, if someone's on call, I mean, they still come without them. Like, we're all very close. We finally have kids. Romanelli just had a baby boy, we got a couple of little girls in our program. We're definitely all pretty darn bonded, which is awesome, and even within the attending group. So Dr. Neumeister is always like, come over and swim in the pool whenever you want. Like, it's always open. Dr. Barry's the same way. If you have downtime and you want to do something, I mean, there's always someone around who wants to hang out and get dinner, you know, study together. It's pretty open. It's kind of that same thing of wellness. Like, people say that they're close-knit, but I think you can, like, look at our resident page or just see, like, how much we spend time together. Actions speak louder than words. Like, obviously, we're all here to present kind of our case and advocate for our program. But I think if you really look at the evidence of it, is that we want people to come here who enjoy the same things and want to be part of kind of this family vibe.
0: I think I've been seeing some tubing and things on your Instagram as well. So definitely it's evident that you're really hanging out.
2: Yes, evidence. <laughs> evidence based medicine here.
0: And falling off
2: tubes together.
0: Yes. So now a little bit more about the resident lifestyle. Do most residents own or rent?
1: So I own, and I would say that the majority of us do own our own homes. There's a nearby Washington Park that's maybe five to seven minutes from the hospital where a lot of our residents live around. A lot of us own our own homes, and it's a great investment over the course of the six years. Our cost of living is quite low being in Springfield as well. That being said, I do know uh, Danielle rents
2: from somewhere without any snow or grass before. I was not really interested in doing those activities. So I rent and it's really easy. So that opportunity is there as well. I live downtown, so very close by to both hospitals. It takes me like two minutes to get to work. I have enough on my plate, so I wasn't really interested in owning a home, but I do think if I had a bit more time to invest into that, I think it's a great investment and very doable around here, which is awesome. But yeah, cost of living is pretty reasonable. I think we make enough salary-wise to easily support that. Like that mention of moonlighting, I don't think you need to supplement your, your income at all.
1: Our mortgage payments either are very affordable, I would say in the range of 700 to $900 per person just depending on circumstances, which I think allows for significant kind of surplus income.
2: You're able to pay your loans, you're able to like pay your bills, maybe save a little bit and afford, you know, a house. And I think in some places that's not even doable. Hearing of some of our chiefs going to hand fellowship out in like Seattle, like hearing what they pay for like a very small, you know, one bedroom apartment. I mean, I think We do have the luxury of you can have a house with some land for an affordable cost. If you want to live downtown in an apartment like I do, affordable. If you want to own your own house, have a little land, even live a little outside the city, you can. Everything's really close. Easy commutes. You know, it's kind of like I said, easy living. Like the farthest thing away, like my yoga studio is maybe like four miles away. So, I mean, that's pretty much the farthest thing. There's like a 15-minute period of rush hour traffic where I'm used to in a big city, you know, spending 30 minutes just in your car trying to get somewhere where you can be somewhere in like 10 minutes. So, it's definitely easy pace of living, affordable. I think a nice thing is that Chicago and St. Louis are close by. So, if you want a bigger city vibe, it's very easy to achieve. Like, we went and did our resident retreat in St. Louis. You know, you can go to the bars down there, go to the bigger stores, big malls. That's all available. We've been up to Chicago, like we even go spend the six weeks up there. And I think we all love to go spend those six weeks. But so then you realize you kind of miss the less people. You can get places easier. You can park your car for free, like all those things. There is an airport here. So I go home to Arizona kind of as often as I can. There's free parking. They go direct to Chicago or Dallas. So Dallas, you know, honestly can then go anywhere. So it's pretty easy to fly out of or St. Louis again. Some people will just drive down to St. Louis to fly. But it's pretty accessible. I mean, we are the capital here. So there are, you know, lots of people coming in to do like legislative stuff. So I think you kind of get a little bit of a taste of a big city vibe. So downtown's got the new Capitol building. There's an old state Capitol building right there. So you can kind of get in to a little bit more of the big city vibe. But it's definitely, if you go 10 minutes in any direction, you're back in the country. So it's a nice contrast.
1: I think the easy, style of living easy living as a resident makes it so that you can focus a lot more on your residency duties and learning what you need to over the course of your six years to really become the best surgeon that you can
0: is it necessary for residents to have a car
1: yes
2: i mean you know we just had a fellow who he didn't have a car for a long time he kind of rode a a scooter around town Again, I live probably half a mile from the hospital, so you could easily bike. I'm just still asleep, so probably not safe to drive, but I commute to work. It takes me two minutes, like I said, and there is a shuttle that goes between the two hospitals, and that's really where we operate. So during the day, I mean, Dr. Bueno sometimes even walks it. It's like probably a 10-minute walk between the two hospitals if it's nice outside. So I would say like during the day, you technically don't need a car. And if you lived close enough or had, you know, if you wanted to bike or whatnot, I guess the answer is 100% probably no, but everybody here really does. Parking's free at the hospital. We have a parking ramp. You get to park right next to the door. So like snow doesn't matter. You get to drive right in, park, walk in. And that's true at both hospitals. So you don't have to pay for parking. It's pretty easy. So I say you don't need it, but it's
1: most people do. It's helpful. On the topic of the hospitals and free parking, both the hospitals take great care of us in terms of eating, workout facilities, etc. Um, with regard to eating specifically, Memorial gives us a stipend of fifty dollars a month to go to their cafeteria whenever. On top of having a doctor's lounge where they always have snack food and drinks and hot lunch as well, over at St. John's, just down the street. They actually have a private chef that comes in and makes us anywhere from lobster rolls to tacos to really whatever. They make pastas and ramen bowls. So it's a pretty great setup.
0: So I think that's about everything I wanted to cover today. Any final thoughts either on your program specifically or on the overall residency selection process?
2: I guess I can kind of just give my perspective. I came from a medical school without a home plastic surgery program. So I didn't really get a good perspective of what a program really looks like and the residents other than my, you know, one-month-away rotations. I actually didn't even rotate at SIU. But just on my interview, just really the people is what mattered to me. I think everyone is, like, ACGME certified. We all have to have the same case numbers. And, you know, they're monitored pretty closely that you're getting a good training. So I feel like what really differentiates – programs, which was important to me was kind of the people and the support. I knew I was moving away from home because I didn't have a home program. There's one program in Arizona. I felt the desire to kind of branch out and go somewhere else. So to me, it was important to have supportive people. If you're going to be spending six years of your life somewhere, I just, I wanted to have basically, you know, an extension of my family and just have faculty that were going to support you to really accomplish your dreams. And I think I kind of went with my gut and I, Chose it and I have not been disappointed. So that would just be my advice is just as an applying to residency. I don't think there's really a perfect formula. Or you really know 100% what you're getting into, but really think about what's important to you and kind of go with your gut and
1: and go for it. Yeah, I would totally echo that. I would say that when you're looking for a residency program, connection with the attendings was most important to me. And I felt like each of our attendings were approachable. They were interested in me as a person as much as uh, they were interested in me as a surgeon. And just the overall vibe of the feeling of our residency program being a family really meant a lot to me and aligned with my values, which is something that Dr. Bueno always kind of talks to us about is making sure that your values are aligned with those who you're surrounded with. And so obviously it was my home program and it was by and far the family that fit the best for me. I would just encourage applicants to do the same for them.
0: And how can applicants find out more about your program?
2: We have a program coordinator. She had a baby. He's adorable. So uh, normally it would be Naya Jackson. She's kind of our contact person, but right now it's Penny Prya. And so her contact information would be on the website. We have an awesome website that my co-resident, Evan Meister just put together. We'll update it a little bit. So we have some pictures of people who actually are still here. So it's a great website that you can check out. And then what you've seen is our SIU plastic surgery residents Instagram. You can even message us on there. I've talked to some medical students, you know, just via direct message on there. But you can always email us. All our emails are on the website. So whether it's Michael or I, we'd be happy to answer any specific questions anybody has. I would just say if you have any questions, we're always available. But honestly, any of our residents would be happy to, you know, talk with you. So if you see someone that has specific interests in something you're interested in, by all means, please email them. They'd be happy to talk to you more about our program and about your interests.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.